Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It is great to have you back here for part two. I have a heaping helping of hair-raising calls to share with you. So let's not waste any time in getting started. And let's begin that journey with Violet in the state of New Jersey. Now before I hit play here, a quick reminder that many of these stories have violent and disturbing origins. So listener, beware. Now, welcome to the program, Violet. Hi, this is Violet. Here's my hometown story. There was a very large park in a part of New Jersey that had winding roads and it had actually like a body of water. And it went on and on and on for miles through the city. So there was one tree called the White Lady Tree. This sounds a lot like a lot of the white ladies, but the legend was that I believe it started in the 30s or 40s when they had built all these winding roads through the park, I guess for scenic drives or to enjoy the cherry blossom. A bride supposedly was killed on the way home from her wedding with her groom. And so after this, somebody started painting this one particular tree on a curved white. And that was the white lady tree. And the legend was that she was walking the park looking for her groom. And you could see her. So, of course, when you're driving around at night, you're a teenager and the boys want to torture you. They'll drive there very slow and, and say the car won't start, we're stuck, and a lot of screaming and carrying on. But it was such a popular tree and such a popular legend that the cops eventually, after probably 20 years, got tired of it. I was lucky enough to see it myself, but the cops got tired of it and they cut it down and they diverted the road. Okay. So part two is that people started painting the tree trunks white where they cut down the tree. And a couple of boys decided to go swimming right there in the lake by the tree that was cut down. And they actually were caught up in the vines of the lake and unfortunately they drowned. And then the legend added on that that was the white lady and she was angry and she had done that on purpose. So it's a pretty spooky old legend and it scared me enough, that's for sure. Thank you for listening and I support you. Thank you, Violet. Now I believe a lady in white legend is required for an official hometown legend episode. So thank you, Violet, for helping us meet that quota. Now this is another of those stories that really makes me enjoy doing these hometown legends. Stories that I didn't already know of previous to the submission. And after 30 plus years of interest in the paranormal, and six years of hosting and producing this show, it still amazes me that these little gems are out there. And if we've learned anything from part one, it's that much of this activity seems to appear in more than one place. For example, another hometown legend about a mysterious tree. This time, from Jack in Oklahoma. 
Hello, this is Jack driving around all over the U.S. in a truck. I uh, had a deal for Hometown Legends for you. Back just outside of my hometown is a small town called Ripley, Oklahoma. Now, Ripley, Oklahoma has a ghost hollow, just like just about everywhere around the world does. However, the interesting part of our ghost hollow is small town monsters actually did a documentary on that exact area just six miles away. I believe it was called Bigfoot in My Backyard. I can't remember for certain the title. But that's not the hometown legend I'm calling to tell you about. In Ghost Hollow, as soon as you leave north on the highway out of the town of Ripley, you cross the Cimarron River. And when you cross the Cimarron River, you take a left turn and then curl back under the bridge. And when you curl back under the bridge, continue on about a quarter, maybe a half a mile. And when we were kids, that was the place where all the teenagers went to go partying because, and trigger warning, this is kind of brutal and insensitive. Back during the Tulsa race riots, rumor had it that a giant oak tree out there is where they would capture black people and the Klan would take them out there and hang them from this tree. Now that was the story that all the old folks around the area told us, don't go out there at night, the ghosts will get you. Now, after I deployed to Desert Storm, apparently while I was gone, the tree was cut down. And right there by the tree, the fishing was always really good. So I went out there one night to check it out and found out the tree was gone, stump had been ground out, everything. However, at night, when you have your headlights on, there's no tree. When you turn your headlights off, not only is there a shadow of a tree, but off in the tree line, you see the shadows of people looking at you. Now, on the same deal with the Bigfoot thing, when you park on the river side of that road, it's completely safe to park. When you park on the woodland side of the road, there's a pretty good chance your vehicle is going to get seriously vandalized by rocks. Thank you for your time. Have a good one. Thank you, Jack. For those unfamiliar, the Tulsa Race Massacre was a tragic event that occurred in late May of 1921. A white mob, some of which were actually deputized, invaded the predominantly black Greenwood District in Tulsa where they proceeded to burn houses, businesses, and public buildings, killing over 25 citizens and injuring hundreds of others, including children. An extremely dark moment in our history for certain. And perhaps it's the gravity of that situation, the historical significance, or simply the sadness associated, that makes stories such as this so unsettling. Now I've spent many a night catfishing the banks of some muddy water, so I know exactly how eerie it can get out there. So thank you again, Jack, for sharing your muddy bank mystery. 
Wowzers were off to a gruesome start. If you have a call you would like to hear played on the digital air, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now this next one takes us to the state of Iowa. Brooke, go ahead and take it away. Hi, Derek. My name is Brooke. I'm a longtime listener. I've been listening for about two years. I just got to season 10, episode 7, the Hometown Legends episode, and I just heard my brother, actually, my brother's story about Edinburgh Manor. Now, I knew that he listened, but I never knew that he submitted until now. I obviously grew up living with my brother, and I was very familiar with Edinburgh Manor, the Edinburgh area in general, and I can back up everything my brother said. I, I never even knew that he had an odd experience at Edinburgh Manor, but I definitely have. I volunteered there when I was younger, like really young, elementary school age, and I was too young to know about any of the horrible things that had gone on there. But when I volunteered, I had the same thing happen to me that happened to my brother, this horrible feeling, like an evil heaviness in the building, and I just wanted out, and I didn't know till years later what had actually happened on the ground. So that was odd. I've never had anything extremely strange happen to me in the building or on the premises. I've driven past a couple times at night and seen lights go past the windows when I know that they haven't had people there spending the night or anything like that, but nothing too crazy. The only paranormal experience that I've ever had did happen in Edinburgh, though very close to the manor. My high school boyfriend lived the next town over, and so I would have to pass Edinburgh pretty late at night to go over to his house if I was going in there in the evening for some reason. I was driving past Edinburgh between a couple of cornfields, and I saw in front of me the very clear outline of a car go across an intersection and keep going onto the opposite side of the road. So I didn't think anything of it. You know, the road is decently traveled by the folks that live out there. But I got up to where I had seen the car pass, and I realized there was no intersection there. It was just the cornfield. Now, I grew up in that area. I'm very familiar with all the farming equipment. And it was no sort of farming equipment. It was not harvest season. And it was pretty late in the night. So I know it was nothing that could have possibly gone into the field. And I could very clearly see the outline of a small car go across the road. Just from the field, back into the field. None of the corn was disturbed. Nothing like that. I have never seen anything like it since. I've never had any other sort of paranormal experience, but that was the only one, and it was right near Edinburgh. So uh, that's, that's what I got for you. Nothing too crazy, but it was surprising and, you know, kind of cool to hear my brother's story, and I've had something similar happen in that area. So I hope you can use this on the show. Uh, thanks for all you do. I really enjoy listening. Bye. Thanks, Brooke. Now, since she brought it up, here's her brother's entry. Van, also from the state of Iowa. Hi, Derek. This is Van from Iowa. I had a hometown budget for you. Just outside of Scotch Grove, Iowa, it is said to be one of the most haunted buildings in America. And that is Edinburgh Manor and the most famous permanent resident of Edinburgh Manor, known only as the Joker. Uh, anyway, in uh, June of 1840, there was actually a small town called Edinburgh, which the manor is named after, and Edinburgh was the county seat of Jones County, where the manor is located. The manor was originally built to be a courthouse, 
but after it was complete, the county seat moved. And so it was turned into a poorhouse. Now, a poorhouse is like a house that is government-run to support the poor and needy, uh, where they work the land in exchange for a room and board. But really, that was just the government's front. It was actually an unofficial insane asylum. That's where the incurably insane were sent. In the time that it was a poorhouse, over 80 people died. This is a legend. This is all history here. The original Edinburgh Manor was demolished in 1910 and rebuilt in 1911, which is the building that still stands today, and it doubled as a retirement home and an insane asylum until 2010 when it was shut down. At the time when it was shut down in 2010, over 100 people had died in it, and there has been ghostly activity reported ever since. Uh, People have heard uh, footsteps, doors slamming, there's been singing, talking, toys moving on their own. There have been three particular apparitions that have been spotted multiple times by multiple people. The first one is the ghost of a little girl that is said to haunt the first floor. She's been heard laughing, singing, and crying for her mom. There's been the apparition of a woman in white seen on the staircases by the second floor, and perhaps the most famous. It's a figure that has been seen multiple times and is known only as the Joker. The spirit of the Joker is said to live in the basement, and it is said to be the ghost of a man who killed himself in the padded room, which is located in the basement. People who claim to have seen the Joker say he's a tall, dark, skinny figure, not unlike the Thunder Man from the video game. This would be very malicious. He has uh, been reported to physically attack people, choking them and leaving scratches on their neck. And one of the most famous things he's done, this has been recorded multiple times, uh, throwing old plates across the room, because that's the thing about Edinburgh Manor. Even though it was shut down and abandoned, everything is still there. Medical records, uh, bedrooms are still set up, dishes are still fully stocked. Everything is still there. That makes it all the more creepy. Now to hear the original commentary on that entry, visit Season 10, Episode 7. Or if you're one of our awesome Patreon contributors... It's Monsters Among Us Beyond number 36. And it's certainly a terrifying place, if you really dig into it. And since we have an entry about a potentially haunted Kirkbride building in Iowa, I thought I'd share details about something similar from my old stomping grounds. Now, although there were dozens of Kirkbride asylums across the country, distinct gothic brick buildings named after their designer, Thomas Kirkbride, One of the most infamous sat a mere 100 miles from my hometown in a little out-of-the-way place called Weston, West Virginia. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, opened in 1864, was an operational mental institution until 1994. Later named the Weston State Hospital, the 26-acre estate was home to hell and plenty of death. Now, interestingly enough, Trans-Allegheny is now open to the public. You can visit and take a number of different tours, including an eight-hour overnight ghost hunt. And it's my understanding that they have a decent museum on the history of mental illness. It really makes you appreciate how far we've come. Now, I have not seen any of this myself, but it's certainly on my short list the next time I'm in old West Virginia. So what do you think of that matchup? Kirkbride versus Kirkbride, Iowa versus West Virginia. Who takes home the gold and most depressing and terrifying? Thanks again to our callers, Van and Brooke. 
Tonight's episode is brought to you by NordVPN. If you think the monsters you find in these hometown legends are frightening, just wait until you meet the ones online. Like everyone, I spend a lot of time on the internet, and I take my virtual security and privacy very seriously. That's why I use NordVPN. NordVPN provides the protection I need to browse the internet safely and anonymously, and protect my data from, well, pretty much everyone. It's super easy to use. I connect it one click and I don't even notice it's there. In fact, it's been confirmed by speed tests to be the fastest VPN on the market. And I can use it on up to six devices for across-the-board protection. And I can also use it to switch my virtual location and access streaming content from over 59 different countries. It's endless binging. So get cybersecurity and access to worldwide entertainment for just the price of a cup of coffee each month. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash MAU. Or use coupon code MAU to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus one month free. Plus they're throwing in an additional bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Once again, that's nordvpn.com forward slash MAU to grab your exclusive discount. One month free plus a bonus gift. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the chill-inducing entries. Now before I hit this last string of calls, a quick reminder that I will be dark until March 10th. But maybe check back every once in a while for bonus unlocked episodes from Monsters Among Us Beyond, our exclusive Patreon show. And if those unlocks aren't enough, maybe consider joining that Patreon campaign. $4 monthly gets you access to some 55 plus bonus episodes, and you can cancel at any time. That's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now this next one takes us to the show-me state of Missouri. Please welcome Heather to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Heather. I'm calling from uh, Missouri. I'm calling about the hometown legends. We don't really have like a big legend known, but a lot of things have happened at the school in the town that I live in. I live in a teeny tiny town called Risco. I'm a high school teacher there and several of the other teachers and students have had things happen. I've one of the things that happened to me was I go up to school a lot on the weekends just to grade and get lesson plans ready. And one of my sons is in college, and he went with me to, to work on a paper. And we had to use a side door because it was on the weekend. And my classroom is one way, and the office was another way. I need to go to the office. So I told him just to go ahead and walk down to my room because I thought it was unlocked. So I went to the office, and... um like something on the secretary's desk turned around had this eerie feeling which I get an eerie feeling up there anyways when it's, when it's after hours and it's dark just a really old school and uh, started walking back towards my room this whole building is just a very small building shaped like an L I started walking back towards my room to make that turn and I heard someone whisper my name three times and I turned around and kind of startled me and I said yeah real loud and I was like hey, did I really hear that so I walked down to my room and asked my son, I said, did you hear me? He said, yeah, I heard you. 
And I was like, man, I just heard somebody whisper my name. So anyways, I don't go in the office a lot anymore by myself. Um, one of the things that happened there was a secretary. When I was in junior high, this is where I went to school. This is where I've grown up and everything. And I'm 44 now. But she died at school of a massive heart attack when I was in junior high. So she knew me very well. I was friends with her granddaughter. I'd been to her house. So I don't know if there's some link there. I don't know. And then the other weird thing that's happened to my family is my other son, who's still in high school, he uh, goes up to the gym. And this gym is really, really old. It's older than the high school. I think that the actual gymnasium part was built in the 40s. And then the lobby was added on the 60s. And it's got that mid-century architecture. But it's a really cool old gym. It kind of puts you in mind of Hoosiers. If you Google it, you can probably see it online. But anyways, he would go up there by himself because he would use my key like early in the morning. And he would shoot basketball or he'd lift weights, whatever. Well, he was out on the court shooting and he heard somebody yell his name from the locker room. And he told me, he said, Mom, I knew nobody was there, but he said, somebody said my name. I said, well, what did you do? And he said he went in the locker room to look to make sure. He said, because it kind of sounded like one of his coaches. And he said, nobody was in there. I said, well, what'd you do then? He said, I just went back and started shooting. But that would freak me out. (laughs) I would have left. Another high school teacher said she's actually seen like ghost kids when she's up there alone. I've never seen anything like that. I really hope I don't. And then I've had other teachers tell me other things, too, like hearing footsteps, bells ringing that don't even work anymore. Just a lot of weird things at this school that happen. Um, had like little kids talk to other things that aren't there and say that they saw somebody. But anyways, I wanted to call this in. Um, listen to the show all the time. Big fan. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you, Heather. A haunted school. Who had that one on their hometown legends checklist? Probably about everyone. And we all know my feeling towards schools and places like them. Places that are normally full of people and activity and energy. Places that at night become downright creepy and Heather's younger son's experience actually reminded me of a ghost town I was lucky enough to take part in many years ago it was at the gym of the small university in my hometown my sister-in-law worked as a security guard there and allowed me and my brother access for the evening now that gym too had a Hoosier feel to it Now, we didn't find anything, but we had a good time. And this was also at least 20 years ago, so I doubt there's any footage that exists. Not that there was anything to see anyway. Anyway, I'm yammering off topic. Now, my rambly story is not the East's entry in regards to haunted schools. Now, I'm afraid a little place in Indiana holds that distinction. Built in 1927, Northside High School is not only one of the oldest active high schools in that region of Indiana, but it's also the most haunted. The legend of Northside High School dates back to before the school was even built. The land next to the St. Joe River is said to be an Indian burial ground, and an Indian chief is said to still haunt the sacred grounds where the school now sits. And during the construction of part of the school, 
a worker allegedly was killed when a portion collapsed on him. Since his death, it's said his spirit still lingers around school grounds. The school is also said to be haunted by the soul of a former student. People say they see her walking the track in the gym early in the morning. And finally, a longtime janitor reportedly died from a heart attack in the school's basement. Since then, maintenance staff had reported seeing the man walking the same halls he looked over for several years. And that's a lot of activity for one small school. And what's with school faculty dropping dead of heart attacks? It sounds like a eerie coincidence or occupational hazard. Either way, thank you again, Heather, for sharing that entry. Well, folks, here we are. The final <clears throat> entry for the season finale. A call sent to us by Brian in the state of Maine. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm currently working as a traveling medical laboratory scientist, so by the time this makes it on the show, I could be anywhere uh, if it makes it on the show. But I am originally from a really small town in Maine called Reedfield. I still have a house there, but I live right on the border of an even smaller town called Mount Vernon. And uh, there is a local legend there known as the Devil's Triangle, which is what I'm phoning in about today. Just full disclosure before I start, I'm a skeptic in like the truest sense of the word. Maybe non-believer would be more accurate. Yeah, uh, Devil's Triangle is the local legend back in Maine. There are three geographical uh, locations that make up the triangle. I think it covers, it must be like 20 or 30 square miles or something, I don't know. But one corner of it is very close to my house back home, and I could probably walk there in uh, under five minutes. It's on an old dirt road that used to be, I, it was a logging trail, I think. It's not even a road like most people would think of it. It is dirt. If there's another car coming, you might even have to pull over almost into the ditch so you can both fit through. But anyway, the second corner of the triangle is the Devil's Footprint, which you can Google, actually. I've looked it up on the internet before. And you can see a picture of it. You can read about it. This most well-known part of this legend. And also the least interesting part, at least to me. But basically, there's a rock and a cemetery there. They were building the road to go through uh, the town. And there, this big rock was in the way. And one of the road crew workers said something along the lines of, if we could move this stupid rock, I'd give my soul to the devil. So the rock is moved, and I, I guess his soul belongs to the devil now, according to legend. And also, the devil's footprint is in the rock. And I've seen this in person. If you want to Google it, you can see a picture of it, too. This is supposedly the devil's footprint that's in the rock. Anyway, the real reason that I'm sending you this is to uh, retell the stories that I've heard firsthand that have to do with this. I guess back, this would have been when I was a little, little kid, mid-late 80s, 
there was stuff going on in the area out in the woods on this old dirt road where the tree was and uh, a relative of mine owned the property and uh, he would hear noises in the woods at night angry voices I think like weird singing or something I think I remember him saying and also people would hang animal skeletons mostly deer skeletons I think on the branches over this road so you'd be <laughs> driving along the uh, this creepy old dirt road at night and there would be like uh, a deer skeleton hanging right over the road that you'd have to drive under which I admit would be pretty damn creepy but anyway he had had enough of everything that was going on and the solution that he came up with was to cut down this oak tree and it was still standing at the time so he showed up one day uh, chainsaw in, in hand to cut it down but there was an old man standing in front of it uh, just watching him uh, and as he walked up I guess he noticed uh, also that there was a little boy standing uh, up in the tree like balancing on a branch and they were just looking at him and he walked up and he said like can I help you or something like that and the old man told him that he knew of his plan to cut the tree down and he couldn't allow him to do it and he was uh, sufficiently creeped out I guess uh, I don't know uh, what he said back or, or whatever but he, he didn't cut the tree down stuff kept going on and he all the while was thinking about cutting the tree down until one day and this is the part of the story i i don't know why, why in the hell uh i think it was my grandmother that told me this actually and i don't know why she would because i was a little kid but this was the part of the story that creeped me out one night he was talking about going and cutting the tree down and there was a knock on the door so he goes to answer the door and there are two men and they are dressed all in white and they have eyes that are completely white as if they are i don't know blind or whatever but they have supposedly no pupils no irises just white eyes all white clothing and they tell him that they are angels and they've been sent to warn him not to cut the tree down uh, because if he does he will be damned or, or cursed or whatever because it's a, a marker of some kind I don't really know what that means but that's how the story went it's a marker and you can't cut it down the tree actually was cut down though uh, years later by uh, my uncle and another relative of mine I don't want you to think the town is so small that everyone's related uh, it's just a coincidence he was r related on the other side of the family but uh, my uncle cut it down and he wasn't cursed not really anyway I think he's lived a decent life uh, he has had some hard luck and actually the funny thing he cut two of his fingers off with a chainsaw not cutting that tree down uh, but later actually I don't know if it was before that or after but he did cut two of his fingers off with a chainsaw so I thought that was kind of interesting but I don't know what that was all about, how they could have known about his plans to cut the tree down. He hadn't spoken of it to anyone. And I don't know who they were. I guess I believe it happened, 
there were actually people living out in the woods in that area in that time. My grandmother warned me as a little kid not to go in the woods in that area or walk down that road because there were gypsies out in the woods. So I, I mean, obviously there are no gypsies living in central Maine. Uh, I don't think it was like a cult or anything like that either. Like back in the 60s, there were a lot of hippies that uh, moved into the Mount Vernon area. Maybe it had something to do with that. But anyway, yeah, it's just a story that I thought was interesting. Um, but anyway, like your podcast, keep up the good work. Thanks. Now, before I dive into this, I just want to repeat opinions and statements expressed by callers are theirs and theirs alone. Please don't send me emails. And for those of you that may not realize it, the term gypsy is considered offensive to the Romani people. We learn new things every day. Anyway, thank you, Brian. And again, another story I had no previous knowledge of. The Devil's Triangle. Now, the name certainly wins no points for originality. But there are some details included that do pick up points in that category. The animal bones draped over the path. That's a new detail for me. Although I should say that many big cats, especially leopards, tend to store prey in tree limbs for safekeeping. Not to suggest a panther is involved here. Then, of course, the tree. Not a wise move by the uncle to cut down the tree. And Brian, you can even tell him I said so. Who knows what sort of hell he unleashed. I think we've had about as much hell as we can stomach. Well, anyway, as it turns out, there's a triangle here in California that I really want to tell you about that just might be as equally as elusive. A triangle that stretches across some of the roughest terrain in the United States. A triangle most haven't heard of, but soon will. Of course, I'm talking about the Nevada Triangle. You thought I was going to say Borrego Triangle, didn't you? Well, just wait on that. Big announcements coming soon on that project, just after my hiatus. Now this time, I'm talking about the Nevada Triangle. On the border between Nevada and California is an amazingly complex area that's deadly to small planes. Over the last couple of decades, thousands of aircraft have gone missing in what's called the Nevada Triangle. When the locations of missing aircraft are plotted on a map, they appear to be contained in a huge triangle. It covers 25,000 square miles between Vegas, Fresno, and Reno. Over the past 60 years, we've had 2,000 airplanes go missing in the Nevada Triangle. That's astounding. On average, we have three planes disappear every month. It's not just the numbers that are surprising. A lot of times you don't find anything, no debris field. That's unusual. Now that one was pulled from the program Conspiracies Decoded on the Science Channel. Now this place is deadly. The Bermuda Triangle's death count pales in comparison to that of the Nevada Triangle's and new disappearances occur each and every year. 
Now, this place even claimed famed aviator Stephen Fawcett. It's downright spooky how many crashes have occurred there. So, there you go. The Devil's Triangle versus the Nevada Triangle. The Devil's Footprint versus 2,000 plus dead. Who do you have in this one? And who do you think won overall? Well, folks, my bucket of local legends has run dry. So that brings us to the end of this amazing season. I'd like to thank my amazing crew for their hard work and dedication all throughout the season. Sarah, Addie, Warren, Tony, Sarah, and John. A humongous thank you to each and every one of you. Now we'll catch you all back here on March 10th. And in the meantime, please check out Paraweekly over on YouTube. It's the visual version of this show, and I think you're going to love it. Watch for new releases every other Friday. And if you're a backer to our project Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle, we need your t-shirt size for the reward levels. If you didn't get an email from David Flora, check your spam folder or reach out with that information. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support was provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And join us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, the terrifying music you heard throughout this episode was provided by Co.AG Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for an amazing season. I will catch you back here in a couple weeks. Until then, keep it spooky and have a good night. didn't think I'd leave you hanging, did you? Not only am I here to deliver on a secret entry, but I'm feeling real generous since my Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Well, I'm in such a good mood that I brought to you two secret entries this evening, beginning with an anonymously submitted entry from the state of Washington. Hi, Derek. I've made a couple calls before in regards to some experiences I've had. Uh, I live in Washington but I grew up in Maine. This one is uh, more of a hometown legend type uh, ordeal. I remember growing up as a kid, my parents used to let me go with a couple that uh, they used to take me to Native American powwows uh, out by the Saco River. And my mother used to tell me a story about back in, I want to say, 1600, 1700, something. Way, way, way back there was uh, a few white men drinking and having a good time on the shores of the Saco River, and they managed to get their hands on a 
Native American woman and her child, and they happen to somehow put them in the river or throw them off the wall. I've heard a couple different variations of the story, my account, from what my mother used to tell me. But she used to be very wary of the river. She told me never to go in it, never to swim in it, never to stay out of it. And so basically these white men, they threw the Native American woman and her child in the river and they unfortunately drowned. And to their dismay, or they, they didn't understand that the woman and the child were the woman, uh, the wife and child of a very powerful Native American shaman. And the shaman put a curse on the Saco River and basically three white men a year die at the river. Another variation is summons a monster that lived in the uh, river, and that monster is the one that kills the three white men here. I remember when I used to go to the powwows that uh, they right next to the river, the Native Americans also told me not to go near the river because I was on occasion. And I, I was just there to experience, you know, the powwow and enjoy it and they were always fun but uh, they always told me to stay away from the river and I've heard of people dying and drowning in the river and um, whether that's coincidence or it's a real thing I don't know but that's just my experience and pretty uh pretty pretty unnervous uh, I appreciate your podcast it's great we always do a good job of uh, allowing us to share our experiences thank you very much and have a good day Thank you, caller. More tragedy, death, and destruction. The building blocks for most of these terrifying entries. But not to be outdone, the East has its own watery curse to submit for your consideration. This one also submitted anonymously, this time from the state of Georgia. Hi, Derek and fellow Monsters Among Us listeners. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, and I have got a hometown legend for y'all. I think that most people in Georgia are already aware of this, but I'm pretty sure that I have not heard it on the podcast yet, so hopefully this is a new story for most of you. It is about Lake Lanier, which is a large lake a little bit north of Atlanta. It's a really popular lake for people to go swimming, boating, jet skiing, uh, especially around big summer holidays like 4th of July and Memorial Day. So, you know, it sounds like a pretty normal lake. However, sadly, it is associated with an abnormally high number of drownings, including several cases in which the bodies of supposed drowning victims were never recovered. So for most people in Georgia, it is joked slash believed that Lake Lanier is cursed or haunted. A little bit of background on the lake. It is not a natural lake. It was man-made, and I believe it was created in the 1950s. And this was done by just flooding several towns, essentially. They, of course, moved people out of the towns first, but one thing that a lot of people cite is the fact that there were, of course, cemeteries in many of the towns that were flooded. As far as I can find, there were definitely efforts to move bodies from these cemeteries to other areas. However, it is unlikely that they moved every body from every cemetery, so there's probably some validity to the idea that there were bodies there when the area was flooded to create the lake. There are a lot of more specific stories about the lake. 
but I want to keep this kind of short and sweet. So I'll let Derek get into that if he wants, or if y'all want to check out another podcast, there's one called Southern Gothic that has an episode called The Curse of Lake Lanier that goes into a lot more detail. So hopefully this is a good starting point for y'all to learn about The Curse of Lake Lanier. Thank you, Derek, so much for the podcast. I've been listening for about a year and it's really awesome. Yeah, everyone stay spooky. Thank you, Caller, for sharing that one. And for more information on that story, we kick it over to WGCL, CBS News 46, out of Atlanta, Georgia. I get an eerie feeling every time I dive Lake Lanier. And there's definitely 11 or 12 ghosts down there that I know of. Buck Buchanan has been diving in these waters for decades. He knows what lies at the bottom. He's seen the beauty. He's felt the dead. You reach out in the dark and all of a sudden you feel an arm and a leg and it doesn't move. The Army Corps of Engineers monitor Lake Lanier and know just how deadly it can be. Unfortunately, you know, we've had a lot of fatalities over the years. Nicholas Baggett of the Army Corps of Engineers says there's been hundreds of suicides, drownings, and boat accidents at Lake Lanier. And some of those bodies are still out here. There have been some victims of drownings that have not been recovered. Baggett says without a body, there's no closure. But for divers like Buchanan, no body means more company underneath the water. And they spook because they're restless, they're unclaimed. Nobody's been able to lay them to rest. They're on the bottom of Lanier. Hopefully you find them before they find you. What a way to end this special in this 12th season. With two terrifying water entries that'll be sure to keep my feet dry. A huge thanks to both of those submitters for taking the time to share. Stories pertaining water are always some of the creepiest for me. Now before I duck out of here, I just want to say one more time a huge, huge thank you. Your support has meant so much to us this past season. Whether you're a listener, a supporter, you buy merchandise, or just tell a friend about the show, we appreciate you. And to pay it forward, we will take that support and turn it into the best season this program has ever seen. So I will see you all back here for season 13. So thanks again. Stay safe, keep it spooky, and have a good night.